starting a new series today, and I am fired up about it. We're calling it You Win. Because a lot of Christians, I found, don't know that God made you to win, to be victorious, to be the head and not the tail, to be blessed coming in and blessed going out, to have victory over everything that rises up against you, to have victory over symptoms, to have victory over diseases, to have victory in your family, to have victory in your relationships, to have victory at the job site, to have victory when you're driving your car, to have victory when you're walking down the street, to have victory in your life in every area. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how God has not only equipped us, positioned us, but also empowered us on how to Win. Amen? Everybody say, you win. You win. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. What were we playing? Here's the deal. Open your Bible. As a matter of fact, don't open your Bible. Just put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9.24. We're going to have two foundational verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24. This is in the New English Translation. It's one of my favorite translations. If you don't have a favorite translation, I say try it. Do you not know that all the runners... In a stadium, compete. But only one receives the prize. This is the last, the last sentence is really what I want to hit you with. So run to win. Everybody say run to win. So many people in this day and age are floating through life. Haphazardly uh, uh, going about their business. But their business is more running them than they are running anything else. Uh, a pastor out in California who does a phenomenal job, Pastor Rick Warren, wrote a book several years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. It was a bestseller. I still recommend it as a wonderful book. But just the title is sufficient. A purpose driven, a life driven by purpose. In other words, run to win. The Olympics are on right now. And there are uh, races happening every day. Michael Phelps is, is apparently part fish, part human, whatever. He's winning every single thing imaginable. It's fun to watch. Uh, the, the track and field is going now. They're racing. Every bicycle's racing. Everybody's racing. But when that gun goes off or the, the beep goes off to start them on their way, not one of them sits back and says, well, I'll just kind of run. No, every one of them got to the point that they are not because they've proven to be able to run because little known fact, unlike Michael Phelps, I can, uh, 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 I can swim, but unlike Michael Phelps, not near as fast. <laughs> I have not proven to be able to pursue or press towards that prize and attain like he has so I am not on that platform. I am on this platform. Therefore, in the platform of your life, you have the option. You can either be wandering through life or you can be living on purpose. You can be running to win. And when you choose to press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling in Christ, I've got news to you. You are destined to win. Amen. We're playing a game. And the scoreboard already has the final score. We just have to play the game. Come on, come on. And all of us are in life, and, and just like in the Olympics, I remember watching, it may have even been last night, 
watching uh, one of the swimming races and they were showing it from one end of the pool and I thought, man, we're getting killed. Come on, Phelps. You know, splash the water, do the butterfly, do whatever you need to do, man, but get over here, Phelps. And then they brought the camera to a different angle and I said, man, we're winning. You're going to go through life. You're going to come into moments and it's going to feel like you're not winning. It's going to feel like a setback, and it might even be a setback. But in those moments, you have an opportunity, and that opportunity is this. You have the opportunity to get a bigger picture or to change the angle of your perspective. Because the devil wants nothing more. Let me, the devil wants nothing more, nothing more than to convince you that you are going to lose. But the problem is... If you stay the course, you cannot lose, and he knows that. He wants to get you focused on where you are when God's trying to keep you focused on where you're heading. So you are destined to win. It is an absolute guarantee. The only thing you have to do in the process is continue to press towards the mark for the prize. But so many run, but so many, so, but only one uh, receives the prize. But so few, I've found, are running as if to attain, running as if to win, running to win the race. My children, I have three. I don't get disappointed very often with results, but I will get disappointed with effort. My kids, let me just let them in. One of them's in here. Let me let them on a secret. I can just tell you, they're going to win in life. When I go to heaven at 120 years old, they're going to have an inheritance that is so amazing. They're going to have cars and houses and things and anointings and blessings and relationships. All the, this, this is set in stone because the Bible says it. I'm going to pursue it and then I'm going to pass it on to them. And that's the way it's going to be. But they're going to win. But in the process, what I'm looking at is baby, uh, son, daughter, are you pressing are you running to win or are you getting tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves? Because the Bible says everybody runs, one gets the prize, but I want you in the race of life to run. The enemy wants you to focus on where you are right now. God's trying to keep you focused on where you're going. Open your Bible now to 2 Corinthians 2.14. 2.14, now, everybody say now, yeah. not later. Not when the issue uh, uh, resolves. Not when, not when all your, your, your bills are paid and there's a white picket fence in front of the house and everything's wonderful and all your grass is mowed properly and it's rained every 32 days just like it should and all the relationships are established and all your kids are already serving God and all your cousins, all your aunts have called to apologize for all the stuff they said about you when you were a kid. Not then, now, now, thanks be unto God. Which means we thank God not then, we thank God now. We don't, we don't spend our life going, man, when, when God finishes this situation, I'm going to thank you for it. No, that's nonsense. We thank God now. Now, thanks be unto God, which always, everybody say always. Always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. Now, thanks be unto God, not then, not later, not tomorrow, not next week. Now, thanks be unto God, which always, everybody say always, always. 
Come on, say it again. Always. Always, Always causes us to triumph. If God didn't want me to win in every situation, then he shouldn't have had that put in my Bible because I'm going to press towards the mark for the prize in every situation because he said through Christ I can't lose. Which means you are called to triumph. You are called to win. You are called to be the head and not the tail. You are called to be blessed and not cursed. The difference is we have to run in order to win. But if we will run in order to win and occasionally look up at the scoreboard and realize that we can't lose, it makes running a lot easier. Amen? Amen. So this whole uh, uh, series, I'm going to be talking on how we can win in God. I want to talk on how we can win in our finances, how we can win in our families, how we can win in our relationships. But today, I want to talk about how do we win the loss. I want to talk about how to win the loss. I want to talk about what do we do on a daily basis. Because so many times, and some of my favorite preachers that I love, they teach things and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they found that in the Bible. But then I think, Monday, how can I use that? I'm not mad at it. I still like it. And I do it. I I teach things that I love and I find in the Scripture. but, But the reality is today is one of those days where we're going brass tacks. How do I, Brian, how do I, Billy, how do I, Susie, how do I win the loss? I'm glad you asked. We make it out to be some uh, magical moment and such and such as the gift of evangelism and certainly there are anointings and giftings. But did you know when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you immediately were recruited to become a soul winner? Matthew 28 says, Go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But the Bible says, or we call that verse the Great Commission. But if it's just me and you talking, oftentimes we treat it like the Great Suggestion. We have the answer to the bleeding and dying world's problems. Yet somehow along the way, with poor doctrine, we have thought through the idea that we don't have enough information or we're not qualified or it would offend them or it might hurt their feelings or I don't want to step on anybody's toes or I don't want them to think about me as somebody that's, somebody that's some way or the other or whatever, fill in the blank for whatever excuse bubbles up in your mind. Come on. Come on. Stop repenting for what the devil is saying to you. If the enemy of God can just get you thinking that it is you not wanting to witness, when in reality, when you feel the urge not to witness for God, you have to uh, classify that as a direct attack from the enemy, a fiery dart. So you don't have to repent for what the enemy is trying to get you to stop doing. You just have to put him in his place. You just have to cast down vain imaginations. You have to take all of the thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God, violently arrest them, put Him under your feet where He belongs, and realize if I get a little bit embarrassed, if I have a moment, all those things are possible, but don't you think it could have been embarrassed to be uh, nailed naked to a cross in front of everybody? Come on now. 
If he was willing to do that for us, surely doesn't it make sense for us to do everything we can to win the loss? So here's how we're going to do it. Uh, uh, we're going to focus, everybody say focus, focus, on what's important to God. If Jesus was uh, walked in this room today, he would love each and every one of us, he would bless each and every one of us, but if everybody in this room was saved, the Bible says that he would leave us and he would try to go find somebody that was not. Because he is interested in people making it to heaven. So we are going to find a way to win the lost. 2 Corinthians 2.14 starts off, says, Now thanks be unto God. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is. Now faith is. The Bible says that James, Jesus' brother, says faith without works is dead. Now faith is. Now is the time to put some works behind our faith to prove that it is alive. Now faith is. There was a woman, the Bible says, a Samarian woman. And, and, uh, and, and the Bible says that, that, that Jesus tells his disciple, I must needs go to Samaria. He walks up to a, a uh, a well and the lady is there and Jesus says get me something to drink and she says you're not even supposed to be talking to me he says yeah but get me a little drink anyway she says but you know I'm here you're obviously a rabbi I don't know he says look here's the deal lady if you knew who you were talking to you would ask me for a drink and I would give you a drink of living water and you'd never get thirsty again and she, it's a dusty day. She said, I will never thirst again. She said, never thirst again. She goes, you don't even have a cup. And he goes, you're talking about, he's, I'm paraphrasing, you're talking about natural water. I'm talking about supernatural things. How about you go get your husband? You know, Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, but the guy you're shacking up with now kind of acts like a husband, right? He probably didn't say it that way. He identifies her past to let her know that he knew exactly who she was. She begins to believe on him. And the Bible says, immediately when she heard, she went and told all the men, come see a man. She had received the good news of water that if you would drink, you would never thirst again and immediately became a soul winner. They said to her, well, what's he like? She said, he said, well, you know, he's telling me everything about me. She focused not on what she did not know about him, but focused on what she did know about him. Another story in our Bible is found in John chapter 9. You can turn there if you'd like. John chapter 9, uh, it's, it's, it's positioned very strategically in our Bible. John 9 immediately follows John 8. <laughs> in John chapter number 8, Jesus is in the temple, and he's, he's, he's talking, and they're asking him, who are you? He said, I am. 
Oh, blasphemy. I can't believe you'd do this. And he begins to just minister to them and to kind of pull the scales off their eyes briefly. And they, they, they completely reject him. And the Bible says that he disappears and he fades away. And he goes and he finds himself walking. And that was on the Sabbath. Now John chapter number 9, it's still the Sabbath. And it begins while, with a man that's blind, uh, a grown man that's blind, that was blind from birth. And disciples come to him with a relatively reasonable question, especially if you were in that religious mindset. Who sinned? To make this man blind. Jesus said nobody sinned to make this man blind. He said but either way. I'm going to heal him. Which means whether you put yourself in your situation. Whether a bad decision put yourself in your situation. Or you were just in the wrong place. The wrong time. Because the Bible says it rains on the just and unjust alike. We live in a cursed world. There are bad things that happen to good people every day. Just like people that shouldn't win the lottery. Win the lottery. But literally, he says, I'm not interested in why he's that way. I'm just interested in being the solution. So the Bible says he does what we do around here a lot. He spit in their eye. (laughs) We don't do that. He spits in the dirt, rubs some clay together, and rubs it on the man's eye. Tells him to go wash his eyes. The man goes and washes his eyes. He can see. And everybody... Is very excited. Everybody is thrilled. Except for the religious people. Have you ever had God do something for you and you were so excited about it, but all the religious people, they just wanted the details? And you're like, didn't you just hear the man couldn't see? And now he could see. Yeah, but did he heal him this way? Did he heal him on the Sabbath? I'm sorry, sir, I just told you that a man who was blind can now see. So Jesus uh, is gone, and they're interrogating the man, all the bystanders, and now the Pharisees are interrogating the man who was healed. And they say to him, they say, they say you know what, uh, uh, who healed you? They said, well, they said his name was Jesus. Now granted, he's never seen Jesus. Because he was blind when he met him and he told him to go away and to wash in the pool of Shalom. He's never laid eyes on Christ. So they're asking him all these questions trying to get him to describe Jesus and effectively the man just has to say, I can't tell you, I don't know. What I can tell you is before I met him, I couldn't see And now I can. They brought the boy's parents over. And they said, we're not convinced that this is the blind man. Is this or is this not your son? They said, yeah, that's our son. They said, well, what do you think about Jesus that healed him? They said, we weren't there. Ask him. He's grown. So they come to him again. And this is where I want to pick up. In in, in verse number 24, John chapter 9. Then again, so they've already interrogated him once. They bring him back. Then again, they called the man that was blind, said unto him, Give God the praise. Meaning, that's a poor translation. It, It literally says, now you swear before God. I want you to swear before God that what you're about to say is true. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. 
And the man answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or not, I know not. One thing I know. Everybody say one thing. One thing I know. That whereas I was blind, now, now I see. So the woman at the well is sitting there and she says, let me get something to drink. Uh, let me, or he says, give me something to drink. He, she, says, she says, I'm not supposed to get you any water. He says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for some water. You'd never get thirsty again. She says, what kind of water? You don't even have a cup. She says, living water. He says, I'll go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, but you're shacking up. And there's some other guys too. And oh, by the way. And she says, oh my goodness, I perceive you're a prophet. And he goes, shocker, of course I'm a prophet. And the Bible says, as soon as she realizes that she is talking to the Son of God, she runs and says, come see a man. This young man who was blind from birth is interrogated. He is pressed and he is pressed by people who know more than him about the topic. I'll never forget. I, 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 I'll say this just because it's my story. Uh, I'm, I'm an engineer and, and, and I spent a lot of my life before becoming a pastor uh, uh, doing engineering things. And I'll never forget one of the first jobs I had was with NASA. And, and I was doing this, this project where we were way up in the air, 40, 50 feet in the air. And, and I had bid the project out and it was, it was a certain way. And I remember I knew all the calculations behind it. I knew all the math. I knew everything that was supposed to happen. And, and I sent the crew that was going to go do the actual labor side of it. And they called me and said, we can't do it that way. And I said, we can absolutely do it that way. And I began to tell them why, you know, X plus this equals that and underscore and divided by and such and such. And I told them all the reasons it could happen. They said, you should probably just come out here and look. And I got out there and looked. And there was a metal beam in the way of our project that was not on the drawing I was looking at. Which means they weren't trying to be rude or disrespectful. It could not happen. And I realized right then their experience was trumping all the information that I had. These guys had all the information about what they thought Jesus was like, but the blind man had an experience that could not be taken from him. The woman at the well, she, the, the guy she went and talked to had all the information about what Jews were like, about what rabbis were like, and about how problematic it was going to be. But she had an experience with the man that nobody could take from her. So what I'm telling you, the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 12 that they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So when you're witnessing to people, when you're ministering to people, don't get hung up on the details of what you don't know. Stick with what you do know. Tell them what God has done for you. Last point, then we're going to close. Have you ever, let, 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 me, let me give you an example. You're sitting having coffee 
This happens to me more than, more than I wish it did. You're having coffee and you're witnessing. And you're telling somebody about the goodness of God. Man, Jesus did just set you free and he'll give you peace that passes understanding and he's a blessing and you know, he'll make you be a blessing and all the different things, all the good stuff. And then somebody looks at you and they say something like this. Well, what about the seventh trumpet and the seventh seal and all the different things that are about to happen? Tell me about that, preacher. Now, granted, respectfully, I'm probably as qualified or more qualified than anybody else they've ever talked to on those topics, too. But I choose to focus on the majors. I major on the majors, and I don't try to major on the minors. So instead of continuing to focus on what they have information on that they think, I choose to shift gears and focus on what they can't steal from me. Yeah, there's a lot of things going to happen. I tell you, if there's ever been a time to follow Jesus, it's now. But instead of us dissecting the seventh seal, how about let me just tell you what Jesus did to a country boy from East Texas when he decided to save him, when he decided to set him free, when he decided to put a preach in his mouth and a praise in his hand, when he decided to put ministry in his family, when he decided to bless him coming in and going out, when he decided to open the windows of heaven over his life, when he decided he was going to send him a wife, when he decided he was going to do all these things. Let me just tell you about that. You heathen. No, I don't say that. I don't say that. Nobody is excluded from the Great Commission. When you leave here today, this week I want you to witness to somebody. It could be as simple as I go to a good church. You should come. We have a table set out in the lobby. It has cards. It has a website that will get them to our church, give them all the information they need. It could be as simple as you sitting down and saying, did I ever tell you about how God changed my life? People love a good story. And if they try to flip it and reverse it, like the Pharisees, like the men in Samaria, you don't focus on what they know most of the time, those are knee-jerk responses that are founded in insecurity. Because probably they've been hurt, they've been abandoned. But for you and me, we overcome all of our obstacles, including how to win the lost. By the blood of the Lamb of God. And when we testify, we tell them Testimony just means what God has done for you. When you just tell them what God has done for you. So this week, let's run our race, which I know we're all going to do. But bless God, let's run to win. Knowing that He always causes us to triumph. Stand to your feet, please.